0: Stretch out, your leg, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and applauded how they might kill Jesus. Well, thanks be to God for that word. Keep your Bibles open. Um, I've got to say, at the end of term, it's good to hear about rest, isn't it? I'm feeling like I need it, Um, and brothers and sisters, I am comforted by what we read in God's Word. I'm going to pray for us, that we might hear it and understand it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, be at work today, we ask. We pray that you might speak to us clearly through your Word. And Father, we confess to you restless hearts that need what your Word says. And so, Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, help us to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you find it hard to rest? Do, do you? Uh, have you ever had this experience? You, you've gone on a holiday uh, to the beach, maybe for a weekend, maybe for a whole week, and you've come back and you sit behind the desk on a Monday morning and you're there going, I think I'm actually more tired now than I was before the holiday. Ever had that experience? It's hard to rest, even when we're having a break. Now I'm gonna say there's lots of reasons why it's hard to rest. One of the reasons is that our world is increasingly a 24/7 kind of place. It's just hard in our busy world to find good rest. I mean, work is busier. Uh, Australians now work longer hours than they ever have before. Did you know that? Um, Australia, when I was growing up, used to be known as the land of the long weekend. There were more public holidays that you could poke a stick at, and people also took unscheduled holidays as well. But in the 1980s, something started to change, something shifted, and people found that they were working longer and longer and longer hours. Now, statistics tell us that Australians now work some of the longest hours in the developed world. So work is busier. But even when we switch off, we find it hard to switch off. You know, when we relax, we find it hard to be really relaxed because there's, well, there's just so much digital stuff to to distract us, isn't there? There's DVDs, there's Netflix, there's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's Twitter, YouTube. We don't have time anymore for five-minute videos on YouTube. Now you can just watch really short ones, hundreds and thousands of them. The list of digital distractions is endless, and rather than enhancing people's rest, we're actually told that it it makes us feel even tireder. You've been distracted for a few hours, but you really haven't rested. One author puts it like this, every second now counts, every minute must be maximized. Since we can't stop escaping the moments we have our machines, our technology, give us the next best thing. Split screen, multitasking, mobile wireless, voicemail message forwarding, We don't need to miss a thing. In fact, we can't. We live in two minds, three tenses and four continents all at once. We're so good at mastering time that the moments weigh heavy on us. I've got to tell you, that quote just exhausts me just reading it. (laughs) You see, we can't switch off. We can't switch off. Rest. What is it? Where do you get it? How do you do it? First, rest. What is it? Let me define it, because I think we often think, in the Western world particularly, that a thing is rest that really isn't rest. I think it's easy to settle for a superficial definition of rest, where we can think that the fact that we feel busy, 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 and stressed, it can be solved by just taking some more time off. But I wonder if our problem's deeper than that. Our inability to switch off is not the kind of thing I don't think, that gets solved by taking another weekend at the beach or even a a sea change or a tree change. Our restlessness is deeper than that. And to find true rest, we need something that helps us deeply switch off. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in sleep, there's this moment in sleep where you really sleep, right? They, They call it REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And apparently that's the stuff that you really want because that's the time when your body is actually really resting. If you don't hit that and you wake back up, you won't feel like you've slept. I reckon in the same way, we can go on any number of holidays, we can spend any number of hours watching Netflix, but it doesn't solve the problem of restlessness. Because we need something that rests us in a deeper way. Uh, now, part of the reason we've done this series is to pick up on some of the threads that were offered to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't know if you remember that the, the teacher, he spoke often as a kind of restless soul. You know, he was a person who had great achievements and he, he did much in his working life, but he was incredibly restless. Uh, listen to this little snippet from chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And he goes on to say it's a chasing after the wind. So he's there saying, my experience is this. I've done all these things and I've clocked off, but I haven't actually clocked off he has this frustration that he was finding it hard to rest. Now, one author that I, I heard of, uh, a lady by the name of Judith Shulovitz, uh, she has this wonderful article called Bring Back the Sabbath. Now, Tim Keller was uh, where I heard about this first, and uh, she writes how she was a, a secular Jew, and she would write about how, what her weekend was like. She said this, My mood would darken over the weekend. Until by Saturday afternoon, I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends and swapping tales of misadventure and the relentless quest for romance and professional success, made me feel impossibly restless. And she talks in this article about how she was unable to switch off. And she had this phrase that she used to describe this inability to switch off. It was because she kept on hearing in her mind... The eternal inner murmur of self reproach. It's a great phrase. What she means is that voice inside your head that tells you there's more to do, there's more to be done, you're not enough, you're not finished. The eternal inner murmur of self reproach. I I can relate to that. I really can. And Judith Shulabit said that she found herself going back to the synagogue. She was a secular Jew. She found herself heading back to synagogue because she wanted to find something, maybe in her family upbringing, that could help her turn off that murmur. I think she was onto something. Because I reckon true rest, R-E-M kind of rest, deep rest, is the kind of rest that can turn off that voice. That's where it's found. All right, so where do you get it? Have you got your Bibles there? Please come with me to Matthew 11. We're going to dig into that passage together. We come to those famous words of Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus here is offering, I want you to notice, not just a kind of a holiday, but he's offering rest for the soul. And he offers that to us, not by giving us a method or technique of rest. No, he offers himself. He says, come to me and you will receive rest. He is the one who brings rest. Now, I think this thought is carried on into chapter 12. Chapter 11 and chapter 12 are meant to be read together. They're about the same thing, the same topic and pick up the story there with me, you see that Jesus has, at the start of chapter 12, a little run-in with the Pharisees. And there's a contrast, a beautiful contrast, that's made in this this passage about the rest that Jesus brings and the restless striving of the Pharisees. Look at what happens. The incident starts harmlessly enough. Jesus and his disciples are out walking. And they're walking next to some wheat fields. And it's, it's on a Sabbath... And they're getting a bit hungry. So what they do is they grab some heads of grain, they rub off the husks, the, you know, the outer shell, and they start nibbling on, eating the heads of grain. Now, from the perspective of Pharisees, of the Pharisees, they were doing a couple of things wrong at that moment. Okay? First, they were travelling on the Sabbath. Amma. Not allowed to do that. No way. Not a good idea, according to the Pharisees. Secondly, and more significantly, they were working. They were harvesting, technically, and threshing wheat on the Sabbath day. Again, in the mind of the Pharisees, big no-no. You see, the Pharisees were were known for being incredibly exacting in their Sabbath-keeping. They were famous for taking the Mosaic law and actually going that bit further, extending it, adding their own rules They were infamous, famous infamous, whatever it was, whatever is the right phrase there, for heaping up one Sabbath regulation after the next, after the next. Rules for how much you could travel, how much you could cook, rules for just about everything. Now, to have seen this, to have seen Jesus and his disciples taking some wheat and rubbing their heads off the grain, whatever it is off the grain, they would have had to have been following Jesus. They would have had to have been breaking the Sabbath rule about travelling. Do you get what's happening here? Let's not get too uh, technical though. I want you to know, so in passing, that for all their rules, the Pharisees are a pretty judgmental and actually a pretty restless lot. Their religiosity didn't bring them rest. Now I think it's good for us to note here that there's a warning to not slip into legalism as though legalism and some kind of religious legislation is gonna bring us rest. And I think that's a particularly good thing for us Presbyterians to hear. Because sometimes in this part of God's church, we've managed to do more what the Pharisees have done, to be honest. Now there is a great story of a young minister in the Church of Scotland who would ski in winter between the two churches that he had care of. And word got out of this that the minister was skiing. And so as he skied from one church, preached the sermon, and skied to the next church, uh, he was met at the front of the church by the elders. And one of the elders asked, what do you think you're doing? And the minister said, well, I have to ski because it's the only way to get between these two churches. To which the elder responded apparently, Aye, laddie, but we could tell that you were enjoying it. Jesus isn't going to offer the restless rule-keeping of the Pharisees. He's offering something different here. Back to the text, see what he offers. Jesus, in his defence against the Pharisees, says this. This is why he does not keep the rules. And I'm going to give you the short answer. He's above the Sabbath. He's above the Sabbath. Have a look with me in the text. Verse 3. He answered, "'Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry?' He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Now Jesus is referring to a story from the Old Testament book of Samuel, where David, King David, is on the run from King Saul, and he and his men are they're tired, they're exhausted, they're hungry from being on the run, and they stop into the tabernacle. And because his men need food, David takes bread that was set apart for, set aside for the priests, and he gives it to his soldiers. Now, why does Jesus use this story here? What's his point? Well, I think his point is this what David did wasn't strictly legal. I mean, the law forbids him from doing this. But the scriptures don't condemn David for doing it. David isn't condemned anywhere for taking this bread. And I think Jesus is getting at, something that we're going to see even clearer in the later part of the text, that there are some rules that are just not as important as others. There are some rules that are superseded by others. He's not saying here that what David did doesn't matter. But there are some laws, like the law of showing mercy, that is simply more important. That becomes clearer as you read the next point where Jesus, again, talks about a time where there is one rule that's more important than the other. He talks about the priests in the temple. Verse 5, Haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? Okay. So, so that you guys know, every Sunday, uh, ministers have to work. Have you noticed that? We're up here working. I know some of you think it's the only day that we work, but there you go. In the same way... Priests in the temple had to work on the Sabbath. Every Sabbath, they're up there in the temple working, making sacrifices. Yet there's no condemnation for for them for doing that. Why? Because the demands of the temple and temple worship are simply more important than Sabbath regulations. And because working in the temple is a higher law, They can go on a Sabbath and do this work. Do you see see the logic of what Jesus is saying here? There's some things that are just more important than others. And this is where Jesus is building to. He then drops a, a clanger and says, I tell you that something or someone greater than the temple is here. Right after setting up that pattern, he says, look, standing before you, there is someone who is greater than the temple. See, if you can set aside Sabbath regulations to do what's merciful, to work in the temple then I can set aside the Sabbath regulations because standing in front of you is one greater than the temple. Man, that's a big statement. It's one of these moments, I think, where Jesus reveals to us who he is. And then to underline it, down in verse 8, he says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Greater than the Sabbath, because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is saying that he is, in fact, the one who stands above the Sabbath and he is the one who is the master of rest. He is the Lord of rest. He controls rest. He alone is the one who can give rest. Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, is the only one who can say, come to me and I will give you rest. Our rest cannot be found in the ceaseless striving of the Pharisees with their endless Sabbath regulations. It is found only in the Lord of the Sabbath who says, come to me and I'll give you the rest you seek. Now the very end of this passage in Matthew, I think, has a dark irony. If you glance down to verse 14, you'll see that the Pharisees go out and plot how they might kill Jesus, which... It's kind of an incredible thing for them to do after Jesus has healed people, etc., etc. But Jesus' statements about the Sabbath are enough to really upset them and get them plotting his murder. But I think there's an irony here. Because Jesus becomes the Lord of the Sabbath through his death. Jesus is the one who can provide rest through his death. Because it's on the cross that Jesus atones for sin and the righteous requirements of a holy God are finally met. It's on the cross that Jesus can announce that it is finished, that it's done. The Lord of rest brings rest as he dies because it's there that there is nothing left to be done. Do you know that? Because now we're coming to the part where we ask, how do we rest? How do we do it? And I'm going to suggest to you that the first thing that we need to remember is the good news of the gospel. The first thing that those of us who are busy and restless need is to stop and hear again the good news that it's finished, that there's nothing left to prove, that there's nothing left to be done. Now, one of our friends uh, is a doctor, part of a, a church we were at down in Sydney. And uh, she was going for her specialisation. You know, this is a thing that do- some doctors have to do. And let me just say, at her Bible study group, we all kind of went on this journey with her. It was a pretty horrific few years as she studied, studied, studied. And she couldn't stop. She was telling us she has to do this because she- Actually, she said she needed to prove that she could succeed. She wanted to show this boys' club that she could get this specialisation and then she'd be happy. And we, we went there, we made meals, we, we helped her as much as we, sh- as, as we could. She got it, she passed. She passed the exams. We all breathed a sigh of relief, I can tell you. Far out, done. And then she said, You know what? I think I want to do another specialisation. More to prove. I understand she's done another one after that as well. We're not all like that, are we? We're not all driven to that extent. But I think like her, we can listen to the voice in the back of our head that tells us that there's more to prove. The voice that we're not a good father or good mother, good daughter, good provider, good student, or just a good human being. The eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Isn't that what we've heard? Now, if you're someone who can't rest, if you're someone who can't find good, deep rest, let me just say to you this morning, holidays are not going to work for you. The thing that you need, the thing your soul needs, is the good news that it's finished. That on the cross, Jesus did it. And at the eyes of the only one who matters, it's completed. And that the Lord of the Sabbath is risen again and he offers you rest through his atoning death. Now, it would be terrible to you know, be doing a sermon on rest in a Presbyterian church and not mention the movie Chariots of Fire, right? <laughs> it's a film, if you don't know it, and I know there's a whole generation of you who have no idea what I'm talking about. It's a film about two men. Two men who go to win a gold medal. Have you heard about the one of the runners is Har- Harold Abrahams, who's going to run the 100 metre dash? He is this restless soul, desperate to prove himself. And the famous quote, that Harold Abrahams has in the film is this. This is about why he runs, right? In one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Isn't that a cracker? 10 lonely seconds to justify my, uh, my whole existence. The other runner is Eric Little. Good Presbyterian boy, just letting you know. When it comes time for his race, it's on a Sunday and famously he decides not to run because he wants to go to church. Now I think, pleasingly, it's not a legalistic thing for little, keeping Sunday as Sunday. It's just that unlike Abraham's, he knows that in the eyes of the only one who really matters, he's got nothing left to prove because he's heard the declaration over his soul, it's finished, it's done. As I said to you earlier, I think the only thing that calms our restlessness is the gospel of the Lord Jesus because it's the only thing that has the power to speak to the restless heart. First, tell yourself that gospel. Second, remember you're a creature and take a day off for goodness sakes. Uh, We are creatures, we're not God. And it is actually a really wonderful thing that God has made us for rest. And we need to remember and rejoice in the fact that we're not God and just enjoy that he gives us this gift of a day of rest, time off. And as we do that, what we're saying is something really profound. We're saying, I'm not the Lord of creation. There is somebody else who's got that job, that position, and I'm happy for him to be God. It's a very practical, outworking Taking time off. And let me just say, actually, as we're in passing, I want to encourage you just after the last few years with COVID and lockdowns and the world being turned upside down, I wonder if a lot of us have a rest deficit. and Maybe need a little bit more time off. Third thing, when you do take time off, start with the gospel. Start with the old-fashioned word for this was worship. Uh, what do I mean by this? This is something that I, I think I've actually had to learn the hard way. Um, when I take time off, it's normally through the week. Uh, it's on a thir- as I mentioned before, this is the day of the week I work. So I take my day off on Thursday. And I, I really had to learn this the hard way. Uh, what I would do on my day, days off back in the past was I would actually go and do something because this was my day off. So I'd go out for a drive, maybe I'd go for a ride, and I would often find that it actually it just didn't help. The day of rest was not actually that restful. And I found something that was really, really helpful was taking time to remind myself of who I am in the gospel. To start the day off by hearing again the good news that it's finished. I'll tell you how I do it Um, I get on my bike, I stick my headphones in, and I listen to a sermon. I choose one that tells me really clearly the gospel there's no better way to start your day off than to hear again and to tell your heart it's finished you can rest why don't i pray for us that we would come to the lord of rest father in heaven we do thank you and praise you for your son who is the lord of the sabbath and by his atoning death we are offered rest Father, please help our restless hearts to hold on to that and to rejoice in the wonder and the goodness of it. Father, please help us to rest. I pray it in Jesus' name.